0: Hey everybody, this is John, back with Staging a Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to my friend Derek C. Uh, Derek's a long-time buddy of mine, and he plays with multiple bands, such as Chocolate Watch Band, uh, Rain Parade. Uh, He does his own stuff. He's played with Careless Hearts. So, uh, we're going to get into talking to him about life and living in the music. So,
1: how's it going, John? Going pretty well. Too well, thank you.
0: How, how's the weather out there?
1: It's it's very pleasant today. Um, we had we had a bit of a heat wave for a while, and it's cooled off to where it's about sixty five and sunny right now, and uh, nice cool breeze coming in the window. And it's the kind of day that oh, that's- it's the kind of day that California people don't like for many people to know about how nice it can be because. <laughs> You know, it doesn't want I don't want it to sound like I'm bragging. It's like, oh, yeah, the weather's perfect, but this this time of year we we typically have some really nice weather, so it's it's a nice time to visit.
0: Well, I'll keep that in mind for uh, for some future trips. So
1: yeah,
0: um, I want to start talking about, you know, how did you get into music? I know uh, your mom was very very positive influence on you, and how yeah, did everything get yeah. started?
1: Yeah, my mom is a musician and artist, and there was, as long as I can remember, you know, going back to when I was a toddler, I was music obsessed, and I was always picking up her guitar and, you know, making noise on it, and she started showing me chords when I was, you know, just able to reach my hand around the fretboard, and I was just obsessed with it. and you know, strummed all the time and listened to her records. And my uncle also gave me a bunch of records that he wasn't interested in any, anymore from the sixties because he got big into classical music and prog rock and okay. in the late seventies. So to him, all of these psychedelic sixties records were stupid. And to me, they were like the Holy grail. So I I had a, I had a very strange childhood in that really all I cared about was music. And then I, I had chronic asthma for a long time, so it, it really kind of kept me at home for the most part and just practicing guitar and trying to, you know, learn along with records. So it was, I mean, it's pretty much just what I've always known and always, always done, so. Well,
0: that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, at least you had... Some sort of output, you know, and most kids would be being pushed into, you know, basketball, baseball, football. You know, it's nice that you had something to do and had positive influence.
1: Yeah, I I think I think so. It 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 was kind of difficult at the time because I was, you know, really an outcast. But I'm I'm okay with that, and it never bothered (laughs) me that it never bothered me that much, you know, because I I knew that I had something that I cared about and. I wasn't gonna let bullies or any anybody like that change my change my path. So,
0: well, that's pretty awesome. Um, so, you know, growing growing up, I know you know we all had our high school bands, um, but I think around that time, didn't you uh, you started working at a record shop,
1: right? I did, yeah. I um, I'll go back to eighth grade when I met my my good friend Paul Grafton, who was also kind of a I mean we were proud to be weirdos together and he was Hi, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was the new kid in school and my family had just moved back to Indiana from California and I I felt really alienated by by a lot of things but Paul became my good friend and he wanted to play music and I encouraged him to get a bass And he bought a bass and took to it quickly. And we just played guitar and bass together as often as we could. And then our freshman year in high school, we met Tim Fogel, who became the drummer, who was the drummer already. And the first time we got together with him, Tim was really advanced. He was was a great drummer. And we'd played with another drummer that didn't really know what he was doing, and we tried, and that just didn't work. And then we started playing with Tim, and it was like, wow, this sounds like a band. And we started gigging at the local places where kids could play. And then when I was 16, as soon as I turned 16, I got a job at the record store that I'd been going to, which looking back on this store, we were so lucky to have it in Indiana because they stocked all the indie rock and imports and stuff that, I guess I kind of took for granted at the time, but it also felt very special at the time because not everybody knew what it was. And there were people that worked there that really helped guide, guide my taste. And that continued on to when I started working there. And, I mean, to me, I got paid less than minimum wage to work there, but I didn't care because I would take home armloads of promo CDs every week. And in in addition to that, I was able to get free tickets to just about any club show that I wanted to go to. And that's when you know the metro was really happening with all ages shows and mm-hmm. i had a drive i had a driver's license and a very understanding mom that didn't mind me driving into chicago well she probably minded but she allowed me to do it and so i just i got to see so many bands that blew up in the 90s and became you know the megastars i saw them play in clubs and Pretty amazing looking back on it. And a lot of those bands I don't really listen to anymore, but the experience was just incredible. And it reminds me of when I would talk to people from the 60s that saw Hendrix and saw Led Zeppelin on their first tour. So my dermatologist saw the Velvet Underground, and I was just blown away by that. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, I wore a Velvet Underground shirt to a dermatologist's appointment, and he said, "Wow, I can't believe that you know who they are. I, I was lucky enough to see them in 1968 and my jaw just dropped. It's like, wow, somebody I know saw the Velvet Underground. This is amazing." Yeah, that is wild. So, you know, there's always been nice these thing. little there's always been these little breadcrumbs that I've gotten that have that have really been a great education from older people and people, you know, close to my own age uh, back back in those pre-internet days when it was it it really felt incredible to to learn these things
0: yeah and it, it was so much more organic then you you had to you had to know somebody who knew something to be able to to be able to do it but um
1: yeah yeah that's true i think
0: i think that's really cool the uh getting tickets to go to the small clubs and see bands i know uh Trying to, i'm trying to think i know you you had told me one time that you were at that the filming for the jeff buckley live in chicago uh um, yeah, at the metro yeah, yeah. which is just a beautiful show you know i'm sure you were seeing the smoking popes and things like that out there too like, you
1: know i never saw i never saw them but i mean really? the, the big ones the big ones for me i mean i saw nirvana right when nevermind came out and it was one of the most incredible concerts ever but then I also saw bands like Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins, and you know, those kind of bands that I that I liked at the time, but I didn't really—they weren't really a lasting thing for me. But I saw them play in clubs, and I'm I'm really happy that I got to got to see that. Oh yeah, I saw the Foo Fighters before their first album came out. That was pretty exciting. They were they were Oh, incredible. that's cool. Yeah. Uh,
0: was that the Was that the tour they were doing with Mike Watt?
1: It was. Yeah, yeah, which that got filmed by the great JBTV.
0: <laughs> oh, dude, JBTV is freaking great! And actually, uh, God, I want to say it was last year or the year before they put the record out from uh, that tour.
1: Oh, interesting. Or
0: well, Watt did?
1: Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I think I, I, think I do remember hearing about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. wild, man. So then, I mean, since then, you pretty much stayed in working somehow with music. I know I met you when we were working together at the guitar shop. Yeah. And then uh, it wasn't too long after that that you moved back out to California, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I think it was like 2001, 2002 that we worked together. And then end of 2004, I was able to get back to California. So almost almost 20 years already. It's unbelievable how quickly that time passes.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, so now when you got out to California, you were out there for a little while, and somehow you ended up bumping into James Williamson?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the guitar shop that I was working at. He, I, I didn't know who he was when he came in, but you know, being a massive Stooges fan, I knew that he lived in the area. But okay. It was, you know, it was one of those things where, well, James Williamson doesn't play guitar anymore, so he's not going to pop up anywhere. But one day at the shop, a really cool guy and I started talking, and he was looking for a particular model Martin guitar that we didn't have in stock, but I knew that there was one that was coming soon because I'd ordered it. Mm-hmm. And he played some. He'd played a few other guitars that I showed him, and and. We just really clicked personality wise. He was interested in what I had to say and my opinions on the guitars and you know, I was really kind of tuned into what he was looking for in an acoustic guitar, and we we talked for a long time and then I said, you know, I can give you a call or shoot you an email when this HD twenty eight V comes in into the store. And he said, Okay, that sounds good. My name is James Williamson and I looked at him and my jaw dropped and he could he could tell that You know, it was like he knew he was talking to a fan. Yeah, he just kind of he chuckled and he said, "Ah, someone your age shouldn't know who I am. And I said, (laughs) you know, people far younger than me know who you are. And, you know, I'm sure you know this, but your influence has been, you know, pretty deep. And he just kind of laughed it off and he was really cool about it. And uh, long story short, I ended up writing an article about him for fretboard journal magazine and it was published within days of when Ron Ashton died and the future of the reformed Stooges was in doubt. Yeah. But James called me and he said, you know, Iggy asked me if I wanted to be a Stooge again. And I said, you got to do it. And he said, I don't know. And this and that. And then he called me a couple of days later and said that Sony had offered him early retirement which he had become the vice president of technology for sony and he was a pretty important guy in traveling traveling the globe and dealing with electronic standards and all this all this intense stuff okay. and he just got, he chuckled and he said i think the time is right and i told iggy that i'm gonna do it but i want you to come with me so you know i'm just like kind of freaking out thinking you know, I don't know what this is going to entail, but I'm there, you know, I can't miss this opportunity. And I, I started, you know, I started doing the guitar tech thing for him and we ended up going to 22 countries touring, doing Stooges stuff. And Holy cow. yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience and a lot of fun yeah. and a lot, a lot of hard work, but watching you know, watching them perform so many times was just so unbelievably cool. But then things get started, get, my job started putting a lot of heat on me about, do, you know, taking leaves of absence, and I was getting a lot of flack from coworkers. So I ended up having to sit out the last year of the Stooges touring. But then I should have just quit that job and continued on working with them because I ended up quitting a year later anyhow to oh, do, figures. My, do my, yeah, do my record business full time. And I also turned down another guitar tech job with, for Wilco with, because I just couldn't get away from, from work anymore, which I, I regret that also, but it's life. What, what can you do? I needed to make sure that I was paying the rent every month consistently. So yeah, got to keep clothes on your back exactly
0: you know one of one of my favorite memories from the the time that you were excuse me the time that you were touring with the stooges was it seemed like every few weeks or so you'd pop up and be like yeah so i'm in austria and i just picked up these 1545s
1: oh man you have a good memory (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i i love i love looking at that because it's like you know this dude I know how much you love you love your records. So, being able to you know go to different countries rather than just oh hey I'm I'm gonna head over to Oakland now oh you know San Rafael sounds good you know like you're able to to hit stuff where you know maybe this single was only put out in in Europe in 1967 and exactly you're actually exactly. able to find one in the yeah, wild. It-
1: yeah. And then beyond that, you know, because Iggy needed a lot of time in between shows to recover because, you know, his whole thing is so physical and his, his body's been through a lot. So there would be at least one day off in between shows. So when I was going out looking for records, I was also spending the entire day walking the city and experiencing that that's the city, which to me was just as exciting as the gigs because getting to see all of these different locations that I dreamed about seeing for so long was was just such an incredible experience
0: now <clears throat> excuse me if if you are able to choose what would you say is your favorite city outside of the states
1: oh man it's so hard to pick favorites but there's a couple places that I think of that are that I consider hidden gems that, that people don't think about traveling to because they're not a big tourist destination. Like the first one that pops to mind is Strasbourg, France, which is right on the Germ- on the border of Germany and France, okay. and there's architectural influences with Germany and and there it has the kind of the the overall vibe of paris but a lot more laid back so it looks like this little gingerbread city on a river and it's i just had so much fun there and the record stores were full and inexpensive (laughs) i I bought so many records in, in Strasbourg, and the the people that ran the stores were so cool they would just bring out like boxes and bags of singles for me to look through and oh wow it was just just such a great time
0: yeah see that that's the type of stuff i love i love getting out and checking out the the weird off-the-wall places you know yeah. sure you know getting you know i i've only been out of the country once and that was to canada to go have a cheeseburger uh yeah <laughs> back, back before you needed a uh, before you need a passport to cross the bridge in Detroit. Um, Right. So, you know, I, I do, do travel in States to, you know, I've been to Boston, um, I've been to LA, things like that. But I love it when like, I just take a, I take a day trip and I end up in some small town in the middle of Ohio or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many things to explore in the Midwest and it's pretty easy driving. So, so yeah, yeah which and then, is, which you is know, funny. I, That's
0: a conversation I I have had before on, on this yeah. podcast actually.
1: Interesting. <coughs> oh man! And one time, you know, I mean, going back to the whole record thing, my my mom, who still lives who lives in Indiana, um, does a lot of stuff with antiques. Her and her husband are are big into finding and you know collecting and reselling antiques. And she told me about, she's like, oh, yeah, there, we, we saw this antique store in such and such town in central Indiana. I can't remember where it was, but it was in the middle of nowhere. She said, oh, yeah, there were, there were thousands of singles there. And I, and I went back to visit and, and I said, I want to go to this place, you know, because it's not going to be picked over. Um, even if I find just like a couple records, it'd be cool. And she said, Oh no, it's a long drive and I don't know if you're gonna find anything. And I said and I really had to put my foot down and we went and I ended up I ended up finding a five hundred dollar record there for like fifty cents. So there's Oh good dolly. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. And I, I ended up buying a bunch of stuff at that store and they were really happy to get rid of them and I was really happy to buy them. So <laughs> so yeah, in addition to you know just experiencing these places there's there's so much potential treasure to be found and and uh for the, for those those of us who like to collect
0: so um what did you end up doing after uh after you got off of the tour
1: after stooge's stuff um i i was playing in several bands that um my, my I ex-wife. want to say, that's
0: about the time when you did The Bang, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was my ex-wife and I, we were, we were doing that. And then I, I was also, I played for a bit with Joel Guion from the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And we ended up doing a little tour and played Austin Psych Fest, which was, which was really great. And uh, shortly after that was when I got connected with the Chocolate Watch Band would have been two thousand fifteen. And it was right it was right around you know, it was two thousand fourteen, late two thousand fourteen that I'd quit my job. So I was I was free to, you know, explore whatever music possibilities were out there. And it came at a good time because the watch band stuff was most of it took took place during during the daytime, you know, we were recording an album or practicing for for gigs. So if I, if I would have had a day job, it just, it wouldn't have worked. And it was also around that time that I'd started playing with country Joe McDonald and rain parade like 2015. how, How long
0: did you, um, you, you did a couple of country Joe's last tours, right?
1: Yeah, unfortunately we couldn't tour, but we played quite a few shows in California he has problems with the sciatic nerve and it made traveling difficult for him. There were Oh offers yeah, that'd be that horrible. Yeah, there were offers that were coming in from Europe and Japan and he just he couldn't do it and but it was really special to do those shows because he hadn't played his early psychedelic material pretty much since the sixties and he wanted to end his career the way that it started and it was it was just a very touching experience and i I'd, I'd been a fan of country joe and the fish for a long time so playing that music with him and you know i'll, I'll never forget the last show that we did he wasn't even able to stand for the for the last few shows because he was in so much pain so we, he sat in a chair and we were playing section 43 and i'll never forget him looking over and just had the he had the biggest smile on his face like you know i'm i'm looking into what he was thinking but i it was it felt like he was so proud looking back on his career yeah realizing how groundbreaking that music was and how it was connecting with an audience as he was retiring from the music business so that that was just a a really really incredible experience.
0: Yeah, that's got to be, uh, you know, on his side of things, just you know, um, like you said, pretty much amazing. You know, just to sit back and think, man, you know, I really did it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you 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 got it. It's that's exactly what I was reading into him, and and with some conversations that we had, he more or less expressed that too but in a, in a very humble way.
0: So then you said around that same time you, you started playing with rain parade, who, uh, if people don't know who rain parade is, they come from the Paisley underground, um, back, you know, things like the bangles and, uh, stuff like that. How how'd you end up just knowing people through knowing people or?
1: Well, um, I I'd, I'd been a huge fan of Rain Parade since I was a kid, like massive massive fan and there was a there was a show that it, it was basically their their first reunion show in 2012 and when I heard it was happening, I I really pushed to get the bang on the bill with with them and we we played the show together And Matt Pucci from Rain Parade and I just immediately became friends. And he was very complimentary about our band and it was just a really cool experience. And we, you know, we kept in touch quite a bit. And then at one point he asked me to come in and do guitar tech stuff for them, which I did. And then that turned into, hey, why don't you play acoustic guitar at this gig on these songs also? So I started playing a bit, just a few songs, and then it ended up being, you know, before I knew it, it was, you know, you're basically in the band. Let's figure out something for you to play on on the whole set. So it was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it was a a nice organic entry in into playing with them.
0: It, it's funny how how that works sometimes, you know, like. <clears throat> Being, uh, being the background, ends up pushing you to the foreground.
1: Yeah, it it was pretty mind blowing, and I, I just, you know, every day I think about how fortunate I am that I've been given these opportunities to, you know, not only play with, but I learned so much from those guys. Him, Matt, and Stephen Roback have this, you know, relationship as songwriters and partners that goes back over 40 years and they put so much love and care into what they do in the Mm -hmm. creative process. It's completely made me rethink how to, how to write songs. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of, with my own music, I've always been very much of the let's just get it done and make it happen spontaneous kind of, kind of school. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've, learned so much from watching them that it's made me rethink and put a lot more time and effort into songwriting and arranging and and um, doing it looking at it in a way that it, it you know it doesn't have to be done in a hurry let's let's take our time and make sure that it's exactly what we want to do so that's that's been huge
0: and uh, if I'm if I'm correct, you've uh, recently been recording with them some more, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. First rain parade album since 1985, so that's really exciting. And oh the wow, so- yeah, the songs that they've written are phenomenal, and I, I just can't wait for this album to be done and for the fans to hear it because it's it's, you know, I can I can separate myself as a band member and. <laughs> and speak as a fan and say that it's just, it's, it's going to completely satisfy people that have been with the band for, you know, fans of the band from, from the beginning or for the last 10 years or, or, you know, however long. It's just, it's um, really great stuff.
0: So you guys are still currently working on it. Don't have a, like a release schedule yet.
1: Right. Yeah. The, all of the, All the music tracks are done now. Just, um, we have to get vocals, vocals finished and then it'll, it'll be ready to release. So hopefully, hopefully there'll be some kind of a release plan figured out in the next few months.
0: Okay. Yeah. Whatever, whatever comes out, I'll, uh, toss the information up on the, uh, on the podcast page just so that people know that it's, that it's happening.
1: Most excellent. Thank you.
0: Um, so you're doing that and then you're also you said you've also been playing with Chocolate Watch Band, who's <clears throat> like sixties psychedelic really pioneers of the psychedelic uh thing there in California, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. They were they were one of the first and you know, we haven't done much in the last few years. I've I've done some remote recording collaboration with David Aguilar, who's the original singer. And hopefully some of that will come out soon but you know with especially with pandemic stuff there there just hasn't been any any watch band action but
0: yeah that's been uh that's been pretty hard on on everything
1: yeah yeah it has been i mean luckily with rain parade we were we were collaborating by sending files and recording tracks for for the demos of the songs that be that are going to be on the new album. Um, so but thankfully I, so, I had, that makes, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thankfully I had that to work on, and also <coughs> finishing up this gentle cycle record that's coming out soon. You know, we we really had nothing but time to make sure that that was that was done to done to our satisfaction, and just being able to record at home and. Dropbox files to collaborators was, was really a sanity saver during during the whole lockdown period.
0: Yeah, and it's uh it's kinda nice that we can do that now and it doesn't have to be, you know, everything going through the postal service and
1: right wondering if it's actually right. gonna
0: make it there and <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. That's pretty awesome. So you said uh that the General Cycle stuff's getting pretty close to being done
1: too then. Well, it's done. Yeah. it's it's been finished oh, yeah. for all yeah, it's been finished for almost a year and it takes it just takes so long to get a vinyl pressing done. We our label sent the master to the pressing plant last May and we just got word yesterday that it went to press yesterday. so hopefully oh, uh, yeah, hopefully that means that it's shipping out to us next week and we can get it out to the people that have pre-ordered it. See, that, but yeah, it's it's um, really frust- it's really frustrating how long it takes to get a record pressed.
0: Yeah, so. I know that there's been the uh, the delays and stuff because there's only so many plants and everybody's starting to press on on records again. Exactly. You know, um, I want to say uh, I ordered the most recent recent Sergio Simpson record and I want to say it came out in November and I think I got it last week. Yeah, yeah. So That's... and he's. He's, you know, Grammy-winning, whatever. You know, his record company, I'm sure, has a little more push than, than, you know, the small guys.
1: Absolutely. Which yeah. The, the bigger the, in the neck. The bigger the artist, the the bigger the pull that they have with with pressing plants. And they they bottleneck, you know, not one but several plants. They they farm it out to to anybody that wants the money. And I just got word yesterday from from a friend of a friend that the friend of a friend has been releasing records since the late 80s you know various things and he's also he's always used this plant here in LA you know for over 30 years and this plant doesn't even want to take his business anymore because it's not big enough for them so so that's that's really discouraging and heartbreaking in a way. So I it I think is. that we're we're just gonna focus on releasing stuff on Bandcamp in the in the future instead of waiting a year for vinyl. And uh but, you know, I, I remind myself that to to us this feels like an old record, but to everybody that's hearing it for the first time it's gonna be new. And, you know, it's not a it's not a bunch of bananas that are perishable. It's right. It's gonna it's gonna be okay. So I'm just looking forward. Yeah, no,
0: but I can it,
1: understand. Just looking forward to having it in hand and getting it shipped out to people. And...
0: Yeah, and I understand your frustration in that. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So,
0: he um, said it was it was about that time, 2015 or so, when you quit your uh, job working for somebody else, start working for yourself. You're. Uh,
1: yeah. You're doing record yeah. sales. Yeah, I I've been you know it's been a part-time thing for me for a long time since the 90s i i would you know sell sell records you know and whatever you know whatever the you know then when ebay came it it changed everything and made it really easy to do it then i was i was just so f- frustrated with dealing with a job and not being able to go Play out of town you know without a bunch of grief so i started stockpiling inventory and was able to buy a couple really good collections so i i was able to you know have a good like a good safety net for you know leaving my job and being sure that i had consistent income mm-hmm. and l- luckily it was right around the time that vinyl just really started exploding again with new generations of of people and it took off in ways that I wasn't expecting. It it really just snowballed and became this huge cultural phenomenon again. And it's been really cool watching that happen and with a lot of a lot of my customers have become friends and they're you know, younger people scattered all over the place that are just really excited to get records and they're having a great time with it. And, you know, you think about it, somebody who's say 22 years old, they didn't grow up at all with physical medium. It's always, I mean, streaming or downloading has been, been all that they've known. So, oh,
0: yeah. Cause, but the, I I think the first iPod came out in, like, 2003. So, yeah, those 20-year-olds, by the time they have a memory, everything's in your pocket.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Napster was big in, like, 99, 2000. So, I mean, that's over 20 years now. So, it, it's really mind-boggling to think about it. And it really did surprise me to see younger people get into it. and. I wasn't expecting it at all, but I'm sure happy, you know, for a number of reasons that, that it's, that it's taken off like it has.
0: Yeah. And it keeps going too. Like I, at least, you know, sometimes throughout the year, but at least every Christmas, I've got friends saying, Hey, I want to get my kid a, a starter record player. What should I get? And where can I go to find records? And it's like, Okay, cool, yeah, now you're talking Now you're talking my language, you
1: know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's great.
0: You know, uh, I don't know if you remember S&J over in Highland. They moved over to Griffith now. There's another one right around the corner. There's uh, a shop in downtown Porter. Another shop opened just actually uh, just opened today or tomorrow in uh, downtown Chesterton. Wow. So, you know, luckily we're having things pop up around here because – for a while it was just well goodwill and um occasionally if you went to like the antique shops you know you'd find a rack and then it's like all that stuff that sure it might be good for one listen you know the lawrence Welk's and all the the old stuff Not not the fun old stuff
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah the granny records
0: yeah oh man so um do you do all of your sales through Discogs, or do you uh, you ever like go out and have uh, do the do the live like uh, record shows?
1: I haven't done any shows in a long time. I um, I, I really like just doing the online stuff. So it's mostly Discogs, a little bit of eBay, but ninety eight percent Discogs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: was just. I was just curious, because I know I've been seeing more uh, more shows popping up now that, you know, things are hopefully starting to get back normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't so, surprise me. You know, because there's, there's something nice about, yeah, sure, I can, you know, go online and <clears throat> look and be like, well, they say it's near mint and, you know, very good condition on the sleeve, whatever. Yeah, sure, I'll pay that, but it's still nice, like you know, being able to hold it and smell it before you buy it. And...
1: Of course. Yeah. And there's, there's some people that will only buy it that way. And if, if I had more time, I'm sure I would do more, more in-person shows and things like that, but it, it's really a, a time factor. And there's, there's so much more work involved in it. So I, I decided like six years ago to only, only do the online stuff.
0: Okay so um i know that you were a uh, avid guitar collector as well have you you come up on any uh decent vintage gear recently
1: not recently I, mean, I i'm as i'm sure you know the prices in the last few years have just gone insane on oh yeah not even just vintage stuff but used guitars in general i look at I look at things on Reverb or wherever and just think, "My god, how is this possible?" And then a couple of days later they're gone. Yeah. So I I'm very happy with what I have and I don't really have any desire to buy anything else, so I'm I'm glad that I got that all out of the way. The last I did get a really good deal a year ago on a 69 Gibson SG Standard that's become possibly my favorite guitar. And that okay. popped up it popped up on Reverb, and it was also local. And I contacted the guy immediately and i said i'll be I'll be there as soon as I can with cash to buy this because it was even at the time it was so below market value that I couldn't pass it up. And so that that was a last kind of lucky find. And after that, I, yeah, I, I look and just think, well, I'm out of this. I can't afford any of this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Like, I just think that big bump that that happened in the '90s, because you know you had Nirvana and things like that pushing Sonic Youth, pushing vintage gear, yeah. and then after after eBay came, then there was another little spike but things were still reasonable, but yeah, right now, like, um, I don't know if you remember that 59 champ I have. I looked, I looked that thing up recently and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is how much they're going for. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm still
0: not going to get rid of it. It's my baby, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely remember that amp. I, <laughs> it, was, it was very cool. And it's, it's so great that you still have it. Um, so
0: let me think here. Is there anything, uh, Anything that you need to plug before we get off here?
1: Um, well, I think we've covered covered everything. Um, the the back catalog, general cycle stuff is all pay what you want on Bandcamp at, at the time being. Um, there's also a Rain Parade Bandcamp page, and which there's a lot of great stuff on there as well. And um, that that about covers it. I you know I appreciate you um having me on and it's fun to talk about this stuff with you and you i'm it's very impressive how much you've remembered about (laughs) about this kind of stuff through the years and it's 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 nice if i can do one thing it's being a dork man (laughs) (laughs) well i'm right there with you
0: (laughs) oh that's great um so uh can you just toss out uh, your social media handles if if you'd like?
1: I yeah, enjoy. yeah. On, on Instagram, Mr. Derek C. M. R. D. E. R. E. K. S. E. E. And just Derek C. on Facebook.
0: All right. Well, dude, it was great talking to you. Um, after, because uh, as soon as I hit stop, it it's going to cut us off. So um, afterwards, I'll send you a message or something through Facebook to. Get the last couple of things I need to get from you. Great. So, uh, I hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. I know I, I got you kind of right at lunch, so.
1: Um, Every yeah, it was a good it was a good time to take a break and talk and the, yeah. Thank thanks again, John. Really good talking to you.
0: Oh no problem, dude. You take it easy and have a wonderful day.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye bye. Bye.